You're listening to Moments from the Mount with Pastor Benjamin Schaefer. We hope you enjoy this episode of Life's Big Questions. For more information, go to mtcalvaryreading.org. Okay, welcome everybody. This is our last lesson together, and it's actually one of the more interesting because it deals with a hot topic in Christianity today. If you go into a Christian bookstore, roughly 75 to 80% of the books will deal with the end of the world and what's going to happen at the end of the world. And so this ties together nicely with uh, kind of the question, you know, is anyone listening? Is anybody out there listening? You know, and as we think about God's gift of prayer and then how prayer actually connects to um, these last days of the world in which we are living, and so what God tells us in his word about those things. So why don't we just take a moment and begin our study with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us in your word. You have revealed yourself as our Savior, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the pages of the Bible. And now as your people loved by you, we get to respond with our prayers. Uh, help us to cast everything uh, at your feet to just trust you and your promises for us, and especially your promises and, and what you tell us about the last day, Judgment Day. Help us to look forward to that day, recognizing the eternity of bliss and joy that, that we will get to be with you forever. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so before we get into the lesson for tonight, why don't we look at the true-false from last time. So we talked last time, where do I belong? Kind of thinking about the, the church, visible churches, the invisible church that exists. And so number one, the invisible church includes all who have the true teaching. What would you say? I said true, but now I'm thinking it's a true question. <laughs> now you think it's a true, true question? Yeah, actually, what is the invisible church? All believers. Okay, all believers. So there are some people who believe in Jesus as their Savior from sin. They're part of that invisible church. But they might hold to a false teaching. They might believe the wrong things about Sex outside marriage, or um, what's right and what's wrong, you know. So the, the, this one is actually false, that it, it's not just those people who have the true teaching. Um, some people who have, it's called a happy inconsistency. <laughs> they believe in Jesus as their Savior, but they also have these other mistaken notions like, well, when I die, I go to heaven and I get my angel wings, you know. Nice thought, not true. You know, that wouldn't keep somebody out of heaven per se, but it's, it's an error. And we've all got these little weaknesses in our faith. That's why we constantly got to go back to the word and say, what does the Bible say? Um, number two, everyone in the invisible church is going to heaven. False. Why do you say false? Okay, this one is true. Because if you believe in Jesus as your savior, you're part of that invisible church, where do you go? Heaven, right? So that, in that sense, it is true. I guess I was thinking only God knows your heart. Okay. So just because you profess to be part of that, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. My thinking was going. 
Yeah, and that that's number three. Only God knows who belongs to the invisible church. So that'd be true. Okay, well, I got one right. Yep. <laughs> 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 and and this too, you know. Um, so it, it again, God, ultimately, God's the judge of who's in and who's out of this church. We we gather together in visible churches, recognizing: Do we agree on what God says? Do we want to have fellowship and, and Christian community with each other? You know, that's how we gather together. But we might be part of this church here and neighborhood church and another church, and we're 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 still invisibly connected through faith in Jesus. Um, okay, number four, the correct name for the invisible church is the Holy Catholic Church. False, right? False. Um, Catholic does mean universal. So some, even some Lutheran churches will say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And they don't mean Roman Catholic. They mean, they mean just the universal church that everybody who believes in Jesus is a part of. That's the, that's actually the more historic name for it, but, you know, language changes over time, and so we, we use different words. Uh, number five, as long as you believe in Jesus, it doesn't make any difference what church you join. False. False, right? That's where some of these are come together, you know, that, that believing in Jesus is what brings you into the invisible church, but you still want to pay attention to what a church teaches and and is there error or false teaching that's tolerated there? Well, if it is, you don't you don't want to join that one. That's dangerous to your faith, um, because every false teaching can threaten your faith in Jesus as Savior. So let's say you don't believe in angels, right? Let's say the church you go to doesn't teach about angels. They don't. They say angels are just made up, you know, ghost monsters to to make kids feel better. Well, okay, is that, does that destroy your faith in Jesus? Not necessarily. You can believe in Jesus as your Savior. But Jesus did talk about angels. And he did say that angels are real. So now, now you've got a question. Is Jesus a liar? And if he's a liar, can he be your Savior? You know, so false teaching kind of, kind of creeps in and always wants to attack the heart of the faith. And also, I was thinking, um, I wrote myself a little note that Mormons believe in Jesus. So that asks if you believe yeah, in Jesus. Right. They believe in him. They just believe he was a prophet or something. Right, yeah. What do you believe about him? You know, like believe he existed, believe he was or believe he was savior. Yeah, good point. Okay, number six, it is proper for a Christian to belong to a lodge or to Boy Scouts. This is one we didn't talk about. But it is false. These are and this is one thing that our church kind of takes some heat for because, you know, what's more American than the Boy Scouts, right? But that's, uh, it, 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 it tends to be an organization that kind of lumps everybody together. You know, there, there are Boy Scout troops that go and they have worship. And so it's not just, uh, learning, you know, not tying and hunting or, or, you know, there are all, there's also a religious element to Boy Scouts. And that's where our church has objected to that. Um, even now, I think it, it might be a little bit easier now because the Boy Scouts actually, you know, they allow homosexual troop leaders, and and now girls are allowed in the Boy Scouts because you can't you can't discriminate, you know. So there's a lot of politicalization that happens, and um, um, and lodges often like a like an Elks Lodge or I I don't know is that big out here? I'm not I haven't yeah. 
Yeah, that they often have a religious element too. That that you do secret ceremonies and and um, and by doing that, you know, you're kind of you acknowledge a higher power, and it's just weird stuff like that. That if there's a civic organization that doesn't have those religious overtones, I'd say much better to belong to that. You know, do some good in your community, but don't do the don't do the weird religious stuff that goes along with it. Don't don't get involved with that. It's mixing false teaching with your Christian faith and life, and that's a that's a dangerous thing. So, Pastor, when, yeah. if you know, like, somebody in the church is, or it was brought to your attention that their kids are the Boy Scouts or mm-hmm. they belong to the Elks Lodge, um, would that be grounds for, like, excommunication? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always talk to to people about it, and a lot of times it's just education first, like, what's well, what's wrong with this? Um, and helping them see the the spiritual dangers and things like that. I mean, in the history of our church, yeah, we have there have been people who have been excommunicated over it. Um, I, I've never had that happen because most of the time people say like, "Oh, I never knew that's a problem." You know, um, yeah. I just wanted my kid to have, um, you know, some. Yeah, I want him to go camping once a year. You know, um, so yeah, I think I think. Walking people through that, I always have a lot of patience and love with people too. That, um, you know, it's okay. We can leave that. <laughs> you know, but yeah. Um, number seven, it's wrong for a Lutheran to worship in a Methodist church. True. I said false. I I said true, but you could also say false depending on the circumstances. That's because I right? my note said. What if there's no Lutheran church around? You know, you're a hundred miles from. Isn't it better to, you know, I don't know, go and at least get the word? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it hinges. It hinges on that passage we looked at from Romans 16, where Paul says, "Watch out for those who cause divisions, and keep away from them." Hmm. You know, Paul said that, and it's kind of a hard thing to understand how to how to apply that always. Um, but in general, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go and preach in a Methodist church. They don't believe the same things that, that, that our church does. It wouldn't, and I wouldn't expect them to invite me there. It would be kind of weird for them to invite me because we're, we don't, we don't agree in what the Bible says. Um, so that, that's the tough part. You know, do you go there for the, your cousin's wedding? Okay, you know, <laughs> you're there to support your cousin, not to become a Methodist. You know, um, that's the, the 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 thing we talked about with church fellowship. That it can be hard to navigate that and to give a loving witness to what does the Bible say, and not in a spirit like, "Well, I'm better than you. I'm not coming here." You know, um, that 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 whole attitude um, is 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 it's a delicate balance where we want to love God's word so much. And and when you have a church home, that's a nice thing about having a church home. Like this is where God wants you to worship. This is where where you want to be connected to fellow Christians and not bouncing all over the place, you know, here, there, and everywhere. Um, uh, okay, number eight: Lutherans of different national church bodies should not worship together. I did say false because there are some national church bodies that we're in church fellowship with. So you guys went to an ELS church in Oregon. And that's a national church body that we are in agreement with. 
So there are some of church bodies, but there are a lot of Lutheran church bodies that different groups of Lutherans that don't agree. Um, so the other Lutheran church here in town, are they not part of a national church body? Right, yeah. They're, they belong to different churches, so we wouldn't worship there. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> that, I mean, yeah, they, they do belong to a different church body. And so if you'd say Lutherans here in Reading... We don't worship with other Lutherans in Reading. They, they, the, the, well, one is, is closer to us, but still we disagree on some things. And the other one is way out there. I mean, I, I don't want, I'm not like bashing them. I'm just saying that they, they believe some really different things from most conservative Christians. They're pretty, pretty far. Yeah, Shastaview. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Faith and Anderson. Yep, they're right in line. And that's Pastor Johnston comes here and preaches. Um, so he, we're, we're one with them. Um, so, um, then number nine, no person has the power to forgive sins. False, right? What did Jesus say? If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now that power isn't from us, right? Where does that power come from? Jesus, right? Jesus gives that power so that we can do that. Not, not arbitrarily like, oh, you're forgiven, you're not forgiven. You know, that's not how we carry it out either. Uh, and then number 10, a pastor must not reveal a sin that has been confessed to him in private. True. True. Yep. That's, um, pastoral confidentiality. It's like, it's like talking to your lawyer. You know, I, that's sealed. Um, well, so I put T slash F. Because <laughs> what if um, it's something the person's not repentant or yeah doesn't repent, yeah. and then you go on the line of taking one with you to talk to this person, then taking a couple more. But if he's not repentant, he didn't confess anything to me. But have you? But I'm thinking he did. <laughs> oh, if he says I did it. But I'm not sorry. Yeah. Right. Then, yeah. Then, then he really didn't, he didn't confess it to me. <laughs> he, he, he admitted he did it, but he ain't sorry for it. Yeah. That's, a, <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Um, that Matthew 18, where Jesus talks about going, taking one or two others along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is more like if you're troubled with something, you know, a, a beautiful thing that we can do as Christians is confess our sins, be assured of God's forgiveness. And and me personally, that's one of the best things I get to do as a pastor is take people who are struggling, who are maybe depressed, who are worried, and take them to the cross of Christ and the empty tomb and say, you've got a Savior who died and rose for you. Don't let the devil beat you up. Don't let the devil drag you down. Um, that's a special thing. So, But if it's something that... You know, like if I was like, oh, I'm abusing Hunter or something. Mm, yeah. Do you, do you have, like, you have to tell, like, like report it? Yeah. yeah, I think the state of California, I think I'm a mandatory reporter that's with the, with the school and things like that. I would still, my, my, I've actually been in those situations with, at, at my last school, and I've, I've said, let's go together. And it's a fruit of their, repentance that they they're willing to face it's really hard it's really hard but they need to be willing to face whatever happened and admit it and um and yeah and we did have a dad who 
who served time in prison. And um, so, it, yeah. But I, and that's where, yeah, if somebody, if somebody says to me, like, oh, I'm cheating on my wife, you know, I'd say, okay, now you've got to go tell her. You know, you say you're sorry for it, you've got to go talk to her. That's, um, and I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go talk to her. But if he's not, that might, that's a kind of a sign. Is he really sorry for it or not? You know, so, um, yeah. Yeah, tough stuff. Okay, so, all right, now tonight, is anybody listening? Now, um, is anybody listening to me? The Bible says yes. Jesus is listening. And this is really built off of the section of the Apostles' Creed that we didn't cover yet, we didn't talk about. And the Apostles' Creed ends, the, the middle part about Jesus ends with the, these two phrases. Number one, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And then it goes on, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And those are kind of the two things we're going to talk about tonight, which are so important for our prayer life and our faith life and the end of time. So it's really, really interesting and comforting stuff tonight. Um, so Jesus has ascended into heaven 40 days after he rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples over that period of 40 days. He showed himself alive. He, he said, touch me. I'm not a ghost. I'm really alive. And then at the end of that 40 days, he, he started to fly. And he flew up into heaven and he disappeared from their sight. And the Bible tells us that because Jesus did that, we can be confident that, number one, he hears all of our prayers and he's working for our, our benefit. He's controlling things for our benefit. And then number two, that he's going to come back. So that's kind of, that's why this fits really nicely. So the first thing we're going to talk about is prayer. Um, but when you think about Jesus seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, don't think of Jesus chilling up in heaven on a cushy chair, right? The Bible tells us that the right hand of God, the, the right hand of God, it's kind of a phrase that appears all over the place, um, that the right hand of God is a position of power. So it's, it's about God, like Jesus is God's right hand man, you know, uh, where the, the Psalms talk about the right hand of God has done mighty things. Does God really have a right hand? No, he's a spirit, right? Um, Jesus is, you know, he's got two hands because he's a human being. But God in heaven is a spirit. So the, to think of his right hand is really a position of power. And the right hand of God is actually everywhere. It's not just located in heaven, comfy chair. The right hand of God is everywhere. So that's going to come into play as we talk about God's gift of prayer and um, what what God says to us about prayer. Okay, so first off, what is prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is an act of worship in which we speak to God from the heart. So it's just talking to God. And Jesus gave us a whole bunch of promises. You've got a few of them on your sheet there. Uh, Acts chapter 11, or Luke chapter 11, verse 9. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So the Bible says again and again, ask and God will grant it. 
If you ask, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, it will be yours. And the book of James says, you don't have because you don't ask. You ever find that in your prayer life? You think like, well, I should pray about this. Nah, it's not going to happen. Right? The double-minded, right? Do you trust God or don't you? So the first thing, it's kind of like a challenge to us to say, do you trust God with everything in your life? Are you going to lay it out there for him? Are you going to say, God, help me? Now, the Bible does say, ask in Jesus' name. And that doesn't mean that you have to end every prayer with the words, in Jesus' name. But it means that our, our prayer life flows from our connection to Jesus. So Galatians 3.26 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And so through, through faith in Christ, we have the ability to approach God in prayer. So through faith in Christ, we've talked about this illustration before, that sin kind of acts as a wall. You know, you think of God here up in heaven. You know, sin acts as a barrier to God. Um, so like if, if we're praying to God, our sin makes it so that God doesn't hear our prayers. So the Bible tells us that unbelievers, unbelievers can pray to God, but does God really hear and answer their prayers? The Bible says no. I mean, God knows what they say because he knows everything, but they don't. He, God doesn't hear and answer prayer of an unbeliever like he does for believers because Jesus Christ has removed our sin and now you and I have full access to God. So through faith in Christ, we've got full access to God. We can ask him anything. We can bring him our worries, our fears, our prayers, and we can say, God, please help me win the lottery. And God will make sure that you win the lottery. Well, you're all laughing at me. Why is that? Right? See, sometimes our prayers, even though we're believers, are still tainted with sin and selfishness. So it's, it's almost as though Jesus and his cross, his forgiveness, are kind of the filter through which all of our prayers go. So Jesus says, if you ask for anything in my name, it will be granted to you. So it's always that humility that we have, that, that we think we know best. God, give me this now. But not my will, your will be done. You know, what you decide, Lord, that's what's going to be best for me. So it's again, it's, it's recognizing that posture of prayer. Um, you know, for a long time, people used to kneel when they prayed. You know, did they have better knees than we do? Is that, I'm always wondering about that. Like, or, or was it a way for them to acknowledge their humility before God, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're lowering themselves and, and, and whatever you want, God. Um, so posture, posture isn't that, that important in prayer, but it does matter, you know. That's why we teach our kids, fold your eye, fold your hands, close your eyes, you know, bow your head, have a little bit of humility when you're, when you're praying to God to help focus too. Asking and praying to God, I was without a job for eight months, mm-hmm. and um, I went to this job interview, and it just went amazing. I'm like, God, please let me get this job. Well, I ended up not getting it, mm-hmm. and um, I 
am working at the most wonderful place. And I, at, through baseball, met the lady who interviewed me. And she told me she no longer works there. What a horrible place it was to work there. And I was devastated that I didn't have that job. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, oh, uh, you know, God answered my Right. Yeah. 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 How does God answer prayer? Does he have to say yes? Well, sometimes his answer is no. Right. Sometimes his answer is wait, I got something better in store for you. You know? Yeah. So he's always answering our prayers, hearing our prayers. uh, But sometimes his his answer is better than than the one we're looking for. Yeah. Great example. Yeah. Um, Okay. so then you've got a few more passages here. Um, So faith in Christ kind of opens up the door. And then Ephesians talks about where is Jesus right now? What's his role as he's ascended into heaven? The Bible says God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. So all things in the entire universe are under Jesus' feet, meaning they're under his control. And he is ruling all of that for the church. For the good of the church. And that's where what we talked about last time with the invisible church. That's, that's what he's talking about here. All believers, he's, he's working things for their good. Um, 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So when we pray, right, we can pray directly to to Jesus. We can pray directly to God the Father too and, and God the Holy Spirit. You know, all, all of them will hear our prayers. But Jesus is kind of that middleman, right? He's the mediator between God and mankind, right? He's the one through whom all of our prayers are acceptable to God because of what he did on the cross, paying for our sins. And um, this is really important because some churches will say, you know who we need to be the middleman? The saints. We need Mary to be the, 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 the go-between. We're, we, we can't ask Jesus, we'll ask his mom. Right? And that's that idea that God is holy and we can't talk directly to God. We need somebody to, to be the middleman. And that's, yeah, we do when we've got the middleman, Jesus. So don't give his glory to another. Don't pray to anybody else but him. Don't ask, don't ask your favorite saint to make sure you sell your house, you know. You've got, you've got full access to God through Jesus Christ. One mediator, Jesus alone. So how do they get around that with like these verses? Um, the church tradition. You know, it's not just like for the Roman Catholic Church, they have authorities. And it's not just the Bible. It's also what the church has taught. And so they kind of put them on level, they say they're on level playing fields, but what ends up happening is that church tradition becomes more important than what the Bible says. So it's nice that 1 Timothy 2 says that, but what's more important is what the church has taught. Yeah. Dave? Maybe what you're saying is the same thing as what Jesus was saying when he was talking about the Pharisees. They made up all their own rules and their own traditions. Exactly. Yep, yep. Their, their teachings are about rules taught by men. So we've come 2,000 years and it's still in one direction. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, the, the Pharisees, had their jobs been taken over by those churches that, that teach work righteousness and make up their own rules. And yeah. So whenever you put something, um, in Sunday's Bible class, we talked about reason. Some churches say that reason and the Bible 
are the two standards. It has to be reasonable. It's got to make sense to you. Well, whenever you do that, reason actually becomes more important than the Bible. So it's always got to be, the Bible has to be the supreme authority and everything else is subservient to that. Um, and then the last passage here, Romans eight twenty eight. Romans 8, all of it is just an amazing, comforting chapter. Um, Paul wrote, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So all things God is working out for our good. So even whatever, whatever happens with our prayers, whatever we bring to God, he know, we can be confident that he's going to work it out for us. Um, and so um, Jesus sits at God's right hand. Right, that, That's the Bible's language for this position of power. And he rules everything for our good. And that's God's promise. That's what the Bible declares. And But we got to ask ourselves, even the bad stuff, right? Even the bad stuff that we go through when we don't get the job, when we're diagnosed with cancer, when we lose a loved one tragically, when we have problems in our families, even then, and God says yes. Though that's, that's part of his promise to us, that even the bad stuff, even the evil that comes into our lives, he can turn around for our good and he calls on us to trust him. And that's, that's where faith as a gift of the Holy Spirit is so important. Say, Lord, uh, increase my faith. That's a good prayer, right? Lord, increase my faith. And then, so how does God answer that prayer though? He doesn't just zap you. You know, you pray, Lord, I want stronger faith. He doesn't just zap you. He works through the Word of God to strengthen your faith. So maybe maybe you're struggling and you're reading the Bible more than you've ever read it before. And if life is good, you'd, that Bible would be collecting dust on your shelf. right? But then when you go through something tough, then you're reading, you're looking for answers, you're wondering about it and say, oh, maybe God's working through all this. Doesn't mean you would pick it for yourself or want to go through it ever again. But maybe looking back, you could say, okay, maybe that's why it was happening. You know? um, so, yeah, important to keep that conversation in mind, too. I kind of mentioned it in the opening paragraph, that God speaks to us through his word, and we speak to him in prayer. That sometimes people will say, well, I'm, you know, I'm waiting for an answer from God. I'm waiting for an answer from God. Like, well, what do you mean waiting for an answer from God? You know, he's not, he doesn't just like talk to us like, you know, you and I talk to each other. This is where he talks to us. This is where he comforts us. Um, he hasn't promised to kind of whisper in your ear, move to Sacramento. <laughs> Texas looks good. Lower taxes in South Dakota. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. Um, he, he directs our hearts through his word. And we talk to him in prayer. So that, that conversation is important to keep in mind. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the Lord's Prayer. Um, the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus gave his disciples a model for prayer when they asked him. That's in uh, Luke 11. The disciples said, hey, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. How about you teach us how to pray, Jesus? And we call the model prayer that Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer. And the fullest rendering of it is found in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. So I invite you to just turn to that. Matthew 6, if you've got the, the Bible um, that was on the tables, it's page 787. 787. 
And you can see there, roughly uh, just about identical to what we use in worship, um, a, a few a few things that are different. Um, the translation of the Lord's Prayer is one of the areas of the Bible that always, whenever there's like a new translation, it's always like, <gasps> they changed the Lord's Prayer. You know, I think it's the Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23, and like like one other section that always get people get. If you change it, people use it so much that they get upset about it. So um, you, you'll notice that all the words aren't identical. Um, yeah, just updating it, you know, because we don't use like our Father who art in heaven. You know, that's not a way we talk. So if prayer is a conversation with God, you want it to be natural. You know, that I think that's generally the 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 way it's viewed. I tell people if you learn the Lord's Prayer one way and you feel comfortable saying it that way, I'd say keep, especially in your own prayer life, keep saying it that way. Um, I think to keep it uniform is good. Um, we use the newer version like in school. So what do the kids learn? You know, the, what's the language that they're learning? Um, I, would, I, I say let's just keep it consistent, you know, so that you, you, you don't, you know, flop around and, and wonder what, what are we saying today, you know. Um, but yeah, so in the prayer you've got three sections. First is the address where we approach God as our dear Father, our Father in heaven. Um, then the middle part is the seven petitions, the requests that we present to God. And then the last part, the doxology, closing words of praise. And if you notice in Matthew chapter 6, is there a doxology? Sorry, what's that? The, the, the ending, um, but yours is the king, for, for the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. There's no doxology therein. So Jesus didn't actually speak those words. So some churches, I think the Roman Catholic Church, they end at, but deliver us from evil, amen. Um, So it's good to have that doxology of praise. Um, And so if you turn your page to page 2, you see it kind of broken down into the seven petitions. And then the doxology, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. So we're going to take just a little bit of time and talk about this. And and feel free to ask any questions you guys have about the Lord's Prayer too. This is a a great time to kind of talk about it. And what does that mean? Um, So the first three petitions give glory to God. They're, they're, They're acknowledging that God is the one who is our Father, God is in heaven over all, um, hallowed be your name. Again, even that is, an, is, a, is a word we don't use. You know, How does that communicate in English? Um, hallowed be your name. What does that even mean? Right? Um, hallowed is a word to make holy. Make your name holy. Well, God's name is holy on its own. So how do we make it holy? Do we make it holier? Right? That's what, that's what Martin Luther wrestled with as he tried to explain this to kids. So the way that Luther explained it and that we use when we talk about it is to hallow God's name means to treat God's name as holy. To, to, to regard God as, as special, regard His word as special. So we want to teach God's word 
in its truth and purity, and we want to live holy lives as God's people. You know, that's a, to make, to hallow God's name is to teach about him correctly and to live correctly. And whoever doesn't do that, well, you're trampling on God's name because you say you're a Christian, you say you bear God's name, but then you're going to dishonor God's name by living an unholy life. So hallowed be your name is almost like a prayer saying, God, help me to, to live a holy life. Help me to honor you in everything I do. Yep. And so I can see where that would be a, a real good struggle coming back from Greek and Hebrew with, with what they were meaning there. Um, translating hallowed into English is not going to be good. Mm-hmm. better off to teach people the Greek and the Hebrew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it, and that gets back to the translation thing before. You know, when you learn it, hallowed be thy name. And then you, you change it a little bit, and then, then you feel even more lost, you know. Um, what are we praying here? Um, but again, getting to the meaning is the important part of our prayer life. And, um, and a good tip that I, I encourage people to do, um, say the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer every day. Try, I mean, even trying it. You know, try, try that for a week. Try it every day, Lord's Prayer and Apostles' Creed. It's actually a lot harder. You're like, oh man, I forgot it yesterday. It was a busy day. Um, oh, I went to sleep. I was too tired. I didn't even think about it. Um, it it's harder than you think. Um, okay, then um, what, the next one. What are we praying when we say, your kingdom, thy kingdom come? Does God, is God's kingdom of this world? Remember what Jesus said. Okay, we we want His kingdom to come, and so God's kingdom is His rule in our hearts. Uh, a better translation again would be kingly rule. May Your kingly rule come. That's really what we're asking. May Your kingly rule come. And so, by praying for God's kingdom to come, we ask God to continue ruling our hearts and to rule in the hearts of other people. And so it's almost a mission prayer that we want, we want Jesus to be the, 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 the ruler of hearts and not with, you know, not with an iron rod of wrath and anger. He's not that kind of ruler, but with peace, with joy in the Holy Spirit, with God's love. That's what Jesus' rule is all about. So your kingdom come. Uh, may it come to us, may it come to other people, so they know what you've done for them and they know their eternity is secure with you. So that's God's kingdom, his rule in hearts. And that makes and that's a big that's kind of a key too when you're reading the Bible. Um, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says, all of his parables. Well, what kingdom is he talking about? Not an earthly kingdom. Not a country with an army and, and, and or borders, but that rule in hearts. Um, okay, now which petition? You look at the seven petitions. Which one deals with material or physical things? Four. Yep. Only the fourth petition. Only the fourth petition. Give us today our daily bread. And daily bread isn't just like sandwich for today. 
Uh, daily bread is what we need for our bodily life today. So food, shelter, clothing, um, police, good government, friends, good neighbors, um, godly children, a God-fearing spouse. You know, all of that is included with daily bread. And, and we don't ask for tomorrow's. Right? You ever think about that? We're not, we're not asking for tomorrow's. We're just asking for today. Because today's got enough trouble of its own, Jesus said. Um, tomorrow will take care of itself, but God help me to thank you today for my daily bread. Um, so what are the, what are the implications of that then? What does that tell us about spiritual versus material thinking in our prayer life? Well, if, if only one of seven petitions deals with material things, what might that tell us about the way we often pray? What do you often pray for when you're praying for stuff? stuff. Yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, you're pray- it's like earthly stuff, right? Um, making life go better, fixing the government, um, worried about um, you know this or that earthly problem. But really, the things that God wants us to think about more and more are the spiritual things. You know, that the, the need for forgiveness, the need for God's kingdom, the need for living a holy life, uh, delivering us from evil. You know, those are the things that really should occupy our prayers more than, um, you know, God help me, to, help me to get a bigger house. Right? Okay might not be that high on the real list of things we should be praying for. And that's just, just, just by this, um, this understanding, he helps show us that. Um, okay, then you've got, uh, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So why is forgiving others so important as we ask for forgiveness? Right? Is God not going to forgive you unless you forgive somebody else? Like, your forgiveness, what, what is your for, our forgiveness based on? It's possible. Okay, it's possible, but what is our forgiveness based on first and foremost? You have to, you have, to have your sins forgiven. Okay, our forgiveness is based on what Christ did for us 2,000 years ago. Now, if we are going to fail to forgive others, that indicates that God's forgiveness probably isn't that important to us. You know, if we want to hold grudges, if we want to be bitter towards everybody else, if we're going to say, oh man, she wronged me and I'm never forgetting that. Well then, do, do you know how much you wrong God every single day? We could just be selfish. We want to be forgiven, but I don't want to forgive her. Exactly, yes. Right, that's exactly right. So that's why God, that's why we pray this. You know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That leaves you in a dangerous spot, to say the least. God says, forgive, and if you do not forgive others, the Bible does say you will not be forgiven. And what does that also implicate when you come up to the Lord's table for communion? Yeah. Yeah, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, if you've got something against somebody, leave the altar, make it right with them, and then come 
to the Lord's table. Yeah. So what if you have written some mean girl, just hypothetically, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and apologize for your actions, yeah. and she said, I'm not writing her back, and I'm good because I apologize, and I... Half-heartedly, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's where you can only control what you do. You know, that God wants us to forgive everyone. Um, forgive just as in Christ, God forgave you. So our attitude towards everybody is going to be one of forgiveness and, and, and just, you know, I'm sorry for what I've ever done to you and I, I forgive you, you know. Now, whether they are sorry or whether they turn to God or whether they give two hoots about that is really you you that's on them you can't do that. but for you personally you're going to forgive as you've been forgiven and that's a personal that's a that's a personal life of holy living and that's different from what we talked about last week which has to do with the work of warning people and pointing out their sin and using those keys of the kingdom of God where we tell people you're forgiven and sometimes we tell people you're not forgiven because you're not sorry. Now that's a little bit different. That's more, you're kind of, you're representing Jesus Christ to that person when you're doing something like that. You're not, you're, I mean, it's not you. You're not like so much better than everybody else because personally, as a personal Christian, I, we forgive everybody. I'm not, I'm not holding anything against anybody. I'm a sinner too. But when we are announcing what God's word says to somebody, then that's a little bit different. So that's, that's kind of the difference from what we talked about last week. But yeah, great questions. Um, okay, then the, the um, lead us not into temptation. This is what um, Pope Francis actually tried to change. I don't know if you, you heard about that hubbub a few months ago. Um, he tried to change that. So I'm not sure what the Catholic Church says. But lead us not into temptation. Does God lead us into temptation? No. So why are we praying, lead us not into temptation? <laughs> right? Lead, lead us not into temptation is, Lord, don't allow us to go into situations where, where the devil, the world, temptation is going to overcome us. Don't allow that to happen to us. You know, help us in those moments. Strengthen us so that we're not overtaken by it. Because you know just as well as I do that there are situations that you can fall into that might be detrimental to your faith or might be detrimental to a relationship. Or, you know, and Lord, keep us away from that. If we do happen to, something happens, protect us in those moments. Because God isn't going to, cause us to sin. Um, but we need his help so we don't fall into sin. We don't fall into temptation. So what was the Pope trying to change about it? Um, that, that it kind of makes it, for some people, it makes it seem like God is going to, you know, lead you, into temp- lead you to sin. And so he's trying to make it clear. He's trying that, that struggle with translation. And I'm not sure what it is in Italian. You know, he's, he's uh, speaking Italian or Spanish. Um, but there are, there are English translations that say, um, instead of lead us into temptation, save us from the day of trial. 
So save us, which I think, you know, is a, is a nice paraphrase. I'm not in favor of changing it. Don't get me wrong. But save us from those trials and temptations that are, that want to destroy our faith in you. And then the last one too, but deliver us from evil. You know, but when it does come, you know, deliver us from it. They kind of go hand in hand. Deliver us from the evil one, the devil who's behind it all. Um, okay, then the last one there, what does the word um, amen mean? Yes. Yes, it shall be so. It's kind of a word of, of agreement. And so um, I preached one time in Chicago, inner city Chicago, and I was in seminary, and I'm preaching, and people started saying, Amen! From the congregation, you know, kind of threw me off because I'm, <laughs> I'm this young, young guy, like second time preaching ever and people are <laughs> shouting amen at me. But that we can do, we can have that kind of gusto too. You know, amen. It's not just, it's not just saying the, the prayer is over. Amen. Thank God I can sit down. Okay. Huh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yes, I agree with everything that pastor just said. And I don't need to say it all because you know, trying to read corporately sometimes can be tough. Like if the church has to read a long section, it's kind of like, oh, where do we break? And, uh, you know, are we saying it together? And you get distracted. But if you can listen and then you can say amen together, you know. Um, yeah, it's an expression of trust that God is going to hear and answer prayer. Okay, so that's our, our section of prayer. And now we're going to get into the second half of um, the end of the world. Um, from there, from this position of power and authority, he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. So I got to ask, is anybody familiar with the Left Behind series? Ever heard of this? It's a movie. Okay. <laughs> Kirk Cameron is a Christian actor. He's come out with something. And then just a, maybe a year, a few years ago, a little bit newer, Nicolas Cage came out with a movie too, Left Behind. Yep. One with the airplane, yeah. Um, and it deals with this end of the world stuff and what's going to happen and, and is there going to be a rapture and, and all these kind of questions that, are, like I said, are very hot button issues in, in a lot of Christian churches. Um, and we're going to go through what does the Bible say real simply and clearly. And it's actually very comforting and it's not difficult. Up until about a 100 years ago, all Christians were agreed on this. And in the last hundred years, it's just exploded with dispensationalism and premillennialism and postmillennialism and, and rapture theology and all this stuff. And it's actually not that, that difficult or scary. Um, God isn't trying to confuse us. So let's see what God says. Um, so uh, many people also wonder about the end of the world. What will happen on the last day? We have a sense that this world cannot last forever, but what can we know about the end? In the Bible, God has given us everything we need to know about the last days and the end of the world. Notice, he doesn't tell us everything we want to know, just everything we need to know to be ready. So when will the end come? Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36, no one knows about that day or hour. So when will the end come? No one knows, right? No one knows. So um, I don't have PowerPoint on this, so I'm going to use this board a little bit more here. No one knows the end. That's an important thing um, to recognize. That could come at any moment. So the Bible talks about Jesus' return 
being imminent. Imminent, which means it could happen at any moment. Um, that, that we have to be ready. And in the New Testament, there were Christians who, like Thessalonica, they were in Thessalonica, and they were so convinced that Jesus was coming back soon that they quit their jobs. And they just waited. And that's when Paul set up the rule, which maybe you've heard before, if a man will not work, he will not eat. And so Paul said, get a job. Work. Don't, you've got to still, you know, continue on. Um, because Jesus is coming back, but that doesn't mean you just give up on life. Okay, there are, are there some signs, some indicators that point to the second coming of Christ and urge us to pay attention? And yes, there are. We're going to look at them in Matthew 24. So Matthew 24, verse 4, is where we're going to, we're going to start reading. And we're going to see the signs in society, in nature, and in the church. And one of the important, this is kind of like a, a, a Bible reading thing, is that when you're reading the Bible, there are clear sections that are easy to understand, and then there are difficult sections that are very hard to understand. And the clear stuff is going to help you understand the difficult stuff. So always when I think of the end of the world, I always take people here to Matthew 24 because this is where Jesus is being more clear about what's going to happen. The disciples asked him what's going to be the signs of the end of the world and this is what he said. Verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. You know that the baby's coming. Uh, Verse 9, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So, let's pause there. Let's talk about the signs. So, what are some of the signs in society? Wars. Wars, yep. Earthquakes. Wars, earthquakes, yep. Famine. Famines. Yeah, these are the beginning of birth pains. You see these things happening, you know the baby's coming, you know the end is coming. Um, what about nature? Yeah, no, sorry, earthquakes are nature. And, and famine you could kind of do in both too, um, because... That's kind of the earth, just there, there's a drought, and so you can't have any crops growing, and 
And oh, what's going on here? People are dying left and right. Um, Yeah, then that's the church, right? In the church, you've got false messiahs. Persecution. Persecution. Yeah, and um, messiah just means anointed one. So there, there are actually people who say, I'm Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a pastor in Florida. Who's, his name is Jesu Cristo. He's a Spanish guy. He says, I'm Jesus Christ. So there are people like that who are just straight up claiming to be Jesus, and you know they're crazy off their rockers. But Messiah is a word that just means anointed one. So they there are people who say, I'm anointed by God, I've got a special message for you. right? And you know that those people are false teachers. Uh, persecution, yep, that's that's a sign of the end. Persecution. Like when people say you're a Christian and, and ISIS is cutting off your head. Um, every day, every day, I mentioned this in a sermon a couple weeks ago, every day 500 Christians are put to death. They, we, Christians are the most persecuted. They're the largest, so it makes sense. But they are the most persecuted religious group on the planet, by far. Um, so um, persecution happens. Um, that that number I got that number from persecution.org. It's a Christian Christian thing too. So um, persecution. What else happens to is happening within the church that shows? Okay, love grows cold. False prophets. Yep, wickedness. Yeah, and that love growing cold is kind of connected to people falling away from the faith, which is called apostasy. When people, you know, they, they don't love God's word, they love society. They love what is popular. You know, that's, that's apostasy. That's where people have turned their back on the faith, what the Bible says about stuff. So these are the signs, and Jesus says, and then there is one good sign in the church, verse 14. What, what, good, what good thing is still happening in the church? Okay, the gospel is preached. So God's good news about Jesus, the gospel is still there. It's not completely hopeless, right? The gospel is still there, and there, there will be people who... Believe that, trust that, look to God for hope, and um, and then the end will come. So it's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of the point to ponder. Are there any signs that are unfulfilled? Possibly only the um, preaching of the word has not necessarily gone out to the entire. world. Yeah, and that's where actually there are two spots in the Bible that says the whole world has heard about this. Um, Colossians 1 verse 23 is one of them. And the other one is escaping me right now. But there are two spots in the New Testament where they say everyone has heard about this. And it's not just hyperbole. Um, it's, it's in the ancient world, everyone had it. It was, 
You know, people were more, um, they weren't as spread out as they are now. You know, um, you know, when did North America get settled? You know, they actually say maybe like, you know, the turn of the first millennium, like year zero to a hundred is when people started coming over an ice bridge. And, you know, there's a whole debate about that, but that the gospel has gone out. And we certainly want to spread it more and more, and it could be spread more and more. But the general teaching of our church is that all of these are fulfilled. It could get worse. The persecution could get worse. In America, we got it pretty good, right? I'm, nobody here is, you know, I'm not being thrown in prison for saying what Jesus has done. Um, so the things could get worse, but all the signs are fulfilled, meaning that Jesus could come back at any moment. So be ready. Be ready is what the Bible tells us. And this is basically what our church teaches about the end of the world, is that the next thing that we're waiting for is Jesus to come back, and it's all over. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on, and yeah, there's a lot of trouble happening right now, but Jesus says, here are the signs, and then the end will come. Clear, simple. So it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be like, persecuted right it'll be the christians it'll be the believers it'll right. be god's people yeah yeah right yeah not every christian yeah will feel it to the same extent just like everybody's not going to go through an earthquake you know that's that's our joy living in california to deal with those things you know um Yeah, I mean, the one thing, if, if um, Jesus ties together here in Matthew 24, he ties together the destruction of the temple with these signs. So, I mean, if we kept reading, he would talk about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And that happened in 70 AD. And so that was kind of the last, the last great event. And um, so since that destruction of the temple, which Jesus predicted here, it's been the the end of the world has been, so it's been imminent, imminent then yeah that it, in God's in God's way of thinking it could happen at any minute. Now for us we'd say it's two thousand years. You know what's happening here? It seems like a long time. But remember, for God, a thousand years are like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. You know, time is different when from God's perspective. Um, but yeah, that that's a good point. That and and in the Bibles, um, the the old German Bibles. Um, used to have the destruction of Jerusalem by Josephus, who was a historian. That used to be at the end of the Bible. Like a like an add-on, like an appendix, to kind of remind people that God's destruction is for real and the end is coming soon, you know. Um, but we, we don't do that anymore and that's fine too. Okay, let's let's keep going. What will happen when Jesus returns? So this is this is basically the one thing we're waiting for, and then boom, Jesus is going to come back. Now, what does the Bible say is going to happen? So Acts 1, verse 1, or 1, verse 11, excuse me. This is the account of Jesus' ascension when he ascended into heaven in Acts 1. So two angels said to the disciples, This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So on the last day, Jesus is going to come back in the same way he went into heaven. 
So he went up into heaven. How did he go up? And Yeah, he flew. Yeah. So on the last day, it's going to be the same thing. He's going to come down visibly. Visibly, he's going to come down and everybody's going to see it. And it, nobody will say, oh, is it the last day? I, I don't know. You know, he'll be back and everybody will know. And that's, that helps understand some of the passages. Like then Jesus says in the New Testament that it'll be like, um, like lightning in the sky from east to west. And then the end will come. You know, like lightning in the sky. Well, it's visible. Everybody knows, whoa. <laughs> whoa. You know, when there's a big lightning strike, you know that what just happened, you know. And so that, that's going to be the last day. There won't be any doubt that, you know, is, is Jesus back? That's these left behind movies really, I mean, tick me off because they, they make it seem like, like it's a game that God's playing with us. Like he's gonna, he's gonna take away the believers and then the unbelievers are gonna be here like wondering what's going on and well guess what? If all the Christians are gone, I don't think you have to wonder. <laughs> you know, like, like duh, like maybe Jesus was right, you know. So it, it, it kinda twists God's word and tries to scare people into believing almost. Um, but the last day is gonna be super clear. The, the Bible talks about a trumpet blast. Um, the voice of the archangel, there's going to be this loud boom, and you're going to know Jesus is coming back. Um, then verse uh, Revelation 1, verse 7 says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. So again, what's going to happen on the last day? Every eye will see him. Now, I don't understand how this is going to happen because like, well, what if he fl- what if he comes down over, you know, like Corpus Christi, Texas, right? You know, like I, I imagine this is personally just my own way of understanding this. Imagine the whole world just gets flattened and leveled and everybody sees Jesus, you know, by some miracle of God's power, whether you're in China and you're sleeping or you're in Chicago and you're, you're working in the middle of the day, you're going to know, boom, he's there. He's going to be broadcast on TV. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> CNN will cover it live, right? <laughs> and then it'll be fake news. And you'll, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, yeah. What does it mean, though, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him? Um, that the, the peoples of the earth, the peoples who have rejected him oh, okay. and are not okay. part of his, his, his holy kingdom, yeah, yeah. That's kind of shorthand in the book of Revelation. So Jesus comes back, the unbelievers are mourning. Where is the timeline I'm talking about is the Christians have been taken up at this time? That Jesus comes back? When Christians leave the earth? No, no. No. Um, Am I saying that in a confusing way? Yeah, well, a little bit. I mean, because there, the Bible talks about a number of things happening. So let's go through it, and then we'll we'll kind of kind of list out what is here. So um, Jesus comes back, and then John five twenty and twenty nine talks about this. 
Jesus said, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So Jesus is going to come back and all the dead, what does he say here? Will rise. There'll be a resurrection. Not, this is not zombie apocalypse, okay? This is the dead coming back to life, body and soul reunited. And those who have done good will go to eternal life in heaven. Those who have done evil will go to eternal punishment in hell. Now good, what is good that Jesus is talking about here? Yes. Only through faith is there anything good. So those who who believe and show it in their lives, that is good. That is what the Bible talks about. Then those who reject him and who don't live as his people, they will go away to eternal fire. Totally confused. Yeah. So where are all the dead people now? Are they in the waiting room until he comes? No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when you die, you go to heaven or hell. Right. Yeah. So on the last day, bodies and souls are going to be resurrected, reunited. Okay. Yeah. And then he's, so when somebody dies, they don't get judged that, that they get judged because they either go heaven or hell. So they're going to be brought back together and judged again. In a sense, like there's like the, there's like a private judgment when you die. Okay. And then there's this public judgment day where it's going to be the same verdict you got when you died, you know, going to heaven or hell. But it's kind of like if you get arrested for a crime, you go to prison, right? You're sitting in jail, but you still got to wait for the trial. Gotcha. You know? So your spirit is in heaven, but then your body will be reunited. Exactly. Yeah, and that that is really what we're looking forward to, is body and soul with God forever. In a new heaven, new sky, and a new earth. That don't, don't leave that out. God cares about our bodies. He cares about material is not bad. Like physical is earth, it's not bad. It's, but he's going to make it better. He's going to raise it up and, and change it. So that's really the goal. And so John 3 verse 18, Jesus said, whoever believes in him, in God's one and only son, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So again, faith is what matters. And then there's evidence at this trial. And the evidence is, excuse me, did you live like it? Did you, did you let your faith shine in your, in your life? But the ultimate faith is what decides, you know, do you believe in Jesus or don't you? Exactly. Yeah. And and God knows that automatically, you know, like let's say you died a hundred years ago, you're already with him in heaven, but now it's kind of the public accounting. Everybody gets to see it, it's a the Bible talks about a vindication that the believers will be vindicated and everybody who laughed at you, scoffed at you, said you were a dumb hillbilly Christian, they're gonna see that you were right all along, and they're gonna with regret and anger anger go away to punishment in hell. Yeah, there's the mourning, right? They're going to mourn all the, they're going to say, oh, we were so wrong, but it'll be too late. Yeah. Yeah, so on that last day, 
I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot going on. The Bible. That's why I think too on the last day that 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 time has to stop as we know it. You know, because Jesus comes back. You know, he comes on the clouds. Um, he judges everybody. Or he comes on the clouds, and then there's a resurrection. Resurrection. Um, and then there's a judgment where everybody is judged. And then people go to heaven or hell. You know, and all of this happens on the last day. You know, that's a long day. You know what I mean? Like, um, so in my mind, time and space have to, have to change just for me to even understand how this could all happen. You know? Um, People that come back from heaven, I mean, and I'm thinking, gosh, I would not be very happy. I have to come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they'll they'll come. The Bible also says that they'll come with Jesus as He comes back. So He's going to kind of bring them, like almost like a like a, a victor, a, a general marching at the head of the army, and they're just with them, and they're they're, they're It's a celebration and. Um, <laughs> Right. You know, the same type of thing, I guess. Yep, yep, the victory parade. Yeah. Your, your timeline would have to, or your time reference would have to change because you're talking about a, a judgment, a public judgment, basically, of hundreds of millions of people. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, exactly. And how do you do that? You know, there's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And all the sheep who are believers, they're on Jesus' right, and the goats are on their left. And then Jesus says, he says to the sheep, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And then the sheep say, when did we do that, Lord? You know, it's not like we're doing good things because we're trying to earn our way into heaven. You know, it's a gift from God. It's Heaven is a, is a, is a surprise. Like, I'm not good enough to go there. And yet, he says, come, come. And then the, the goats says, I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was hungry. You didn't give me anything to eat. I was in prison. You didn't, you didn't care about me or visit me at all. And then they'll say, well, why, when did we do that? We would have helped you if we knew it was you, Jesus. Well, it's too late. It's too late. So um, that's where, again, like if there's going to be something like that, man, that's going to take a long time. I mean, and for every, and for us as believers, we don't have to fear that judgment because all of our sins have been taken away. So it's, there's not going to be, it's not going to be judgment in the same way that the unbelievers are judged. We're like, well, you did this. And then, and like, we're kind of hanging in the balance. Like, where are we going to go? I don't know. You know, it's not going to be that for us as Christians. It's going to be a vindication, a time of joy. Um, and that's what we get to next. So number four, what attitude should we have as we look forward to this last day of judgment? Um, Matthew 24, kind of later on in that chapter, Jesus said, keep watch because you do not know on what day our Lord will come. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So our attitude, what would you say? Be ready, right? Be ready. Keep watch. How does that mean? What does that mean exactly to be ready? I'm supposed to be doing. In other words, be doing all the things that we normally do as Christians. Keep keep watch over how we behave and our beliefs. Yeah, and keep feeding your faith. 
You know, keep reading God's Word. Keep receiving His sacrament. You know, um, keep praying regularly. Um, keep keep looking to Him for strength and 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 trusting in Him. Um, don't push it off till tomorrow, right? Don't say, "Well, I can do that next week." No, I can do that. Oh, after I retire, then I'll have time to do that. No, don't push it off like that. It's, there's no guarantee for that. It's now is the day to turn to Christ, to trust in Him. Be ready spiritually. Be ready spiritually, exactly. Yeah, yeah, be ready spiritually. So you could be ready, you could be doing all the stuff you're doing right now. And yet, in your heart and mind, you're working more to think, how can I get ready? How can I recognize that this isn't my, my forever home? With Jesus is my forever home. And that's what I'm looking forward to. You know, that, that's the kind of readiness that God talks about. Um, then Luke 21, 27 and 28. This is another time where Jesus was talking about the end. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So when you see all these signs and wars and rumors of wars and even the love of most growing cold and, and churches closing left and right, don't get depressed. Lift up your head and, and, and look for Jesus because he's coming back. And you don't have to live in the depths of despair and gloom and doom. Lift up your head. Your, your salvation's coming. And then Philippians 3 verse 21 talks about how Jesus is going to, when we're raised from the dead, he's going to transform us. He says, uh, Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So we're going to have those glorious bodies um, that are made new and free from sin. And we're not going to age in heaven. You know, what, what, how old are we going to be in heaven? Yeah, um, probably not babies because the Bible talks about us walking around in heaven and kind of talking and, and worshiping and serving God. So, um, you know. So if we have babies in heaven. No, we won't have babies in heaven. Oh, you mean like a child. Okay, yeah. like a child that... Yeah, so I wonder... Yeah, yeah, what age will that... Yeah, baby be. Baby be in heaven. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, my guess is there'll be, you know, an adult that... Like what Adam and Eve, when they were created, that's what some have pointed to. Like they were they were created fully formed adults, right. you know. Um, so... At what point in your life did, did you start, you, you started growing and then you were like, oh, I'm, my back hurts. <laughs> you know, like, when you felt that tipping point, that's where I think we're gonna be for all eternity. We'll just be, you know. 30. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, what attitude should we have? Well, we can, you know, insert what you like. We can look forward to it. We can thank God for it. We can, um, per- work to be ready. Um, we can prepare our, our hearts spiritually. Um, we can lift up, you know, what do you need too? It depends on what you're, what, what, what you need right now in your own Christian life. Um, to think more about the seriousness of it or to just trust in God's promises that all the pain that we go through and all the physical ailments that we've got and all the trouble we deal with, that's not going to be there in heaven. It's going to be perfect when we're with Him. So we can look forward to that. So, 
Um, okay, we're going to go through the true-false real quick here because we don't have another class period to do this. But I do want to point out pages 4, 5, 6, and 7. I know this is a lot, but this is an area, like I said, of Christian teaching that is so confusing in our world today. So I've given you a bunch of stuff about the last days. And I'd encourage you to read it. And the last page is taken from a book um, that is in our church library, actually. Um, the differences between um, the traditional Christian view of history and what's called millennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism, um, talking about the rapture. And uh, spoiler alert, there is no rapture. There is The Bible does not talk about a rapture. There is no passage in the Bible that talks about a rapture. There's one passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that talks about believers being caught up together with Jesus in the clouds. But that's talking about this whole resurrection judgment where we're going to be taken up with him into glory. It's not talking about being raptured out and unbelievers hanging out here on earth. So what, what a lot of millennialists and, and teachers who are twisting this, what they end up doing is they take a difficult section of the Bible, like Revelation or the Old Testament prophets, and they weave this whole system out of the difficult sections. And that's why I said what you got to do is you go to the clear sections, and those are what are going to help you understand the difficult sections. So the clear stuff that Jesus says in Matthew 24 the prophets aren't going to contradict that. Revelation isn't going to contradict that. Jesus sets the standard with clear words, and then everything else falls into place just fine. So that's what, if you read through this ending, that's what you'll see. I just ask one question. Yep. In John 5, 28, 29, mm-hmm. so Jesus is talking, but he said, and there's grace, we'll hear his voice and come out. Why is um, he, he, ha- he sometimes talked in the third person. Okay. You know, the Son of Man will come at an hour you do not expect him. Okay. That, that's how he had just been talking about how the Son of Man will judge the living and the dead. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you read more in that John 5 context, it'll make sense. Yeah. Okay, let's do the true false real quick here. Number one, there is no such place as hell where unbelievers will be banished forever. False, right? There is hell is real, and it's a sad thing. We don't want people to go there, but we do have to be honest about that. The biggest, the, the one of the one of the one of the teachings that's grown, gaining ground in America is what's called annihilationism. That either either the unbelievers will be annihilated, will just be wiped out, or they're all going to be saved in the end. Universalism. Everybody gets to go to heaven. Um, you just kind of, you do your time in hell, and then eventually God will bring everybody to heaven. Because hell, unending punishment, torment for all eternity, that's a pretty harsh thing. I mean, that's, so a lot of Christians, liberal Christians, have trouble with that, so they dream up these other, other ways to get around it, which aren't in the Bible. Okay, number two, when we trust personally in Christ, we do not have to fear his return to judge us. True. Through faith in him, we don't have to be afraid. Now, we might be nervous or how's this all going to shake out, you know. That's okay. There's some uncertainty there, but we really don't have to be afraid. Number three, our prayers are powerful because we are such good people. False, false right? Um, false. Uh, number four, most people will spend time in purgatory to pay for remaining sins. 
false. Yeah, that's Catholic. Catholicism comes up with that. That middle ground, you know, you got to be good enough to get to heaven. Um, number five, the primary emphasis of the Lord's prayers on spiritual things with less emphasis on material things. True. True. Yeah, we saw that. Spiritual things come first. Uh, number six, the bodies of all people will be raised up and made perfect on the last day. That, that's what the Bible doesn't tell us. They will all be raised up, but it doesn't tell us what kind of bodies unbelievers will get. We know that believers will receive glorified bodies, like Jesus' glorified body. We never hear what kind of bodies the unbelievers will get. Question mark. Question mark, yeah. Yep, yep. Um, so kind of like a half-true one there. Um, number seven, our eternal future depends on our relation to Jesus Christ while we are on earth. True, yeah, absolutely. What? How, who do people say I am, Jesus said. Who do you say I am? That's the most important question. Who do you say I am? Uh, number eight, Jesus makes our prayers acceptable to God the Father. Oh, okay. Well, Jesus, through Jesus who took away our sin, our prayers are acceptable. So yeah, that's what I would say true for that one. You could say the Holy Spirit is also at work. I wouldn't deny that. He's also making our prayers acceptable. Um, number eight, there will be absolutely no pain or sorrow in heaven. True. true. That We didn't look at any passages about that, but that's how heaven is described. Not... You'll get to play golf all day long, or you know, you'll get to do whatever fun thing you want. It talks about the lack of pain, suffering, sorrow, disease. Uh, and then the last one, number 10, the idea of Jesus rapturing only believers while leaving unbelievers on this earth is a false teaching and is not what the Bible teaches. True. Yeah, that, that rapture, um, it makes for good movies, but it is not actually in the Bible. Number eight, where it says Jesus makes our prayers acceptable. Right. What does that mean? Acceptable Acceptable that that they they whatever we're praying, God is pleased with, not because my prayer is so good or I'm so good, but it kind of goes through the Jesus filter. That it's it's purified of its selfishness. It's so God doesn't hear me say, Lord, give me a new you know Ducati motorcycle. He hears me say, Lord, I, I need help getting around. Please, please help me. You know, um, the selfish part of it is kind of stripped away, and the, the, the actual prayer makes it, makes it through, so to speak, to God. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed this. I hope you did too. And all these, all these things are, are online. All the podcasts are online. So if you ever want to go back and listen to one, um, and if you have further questions, you know where to find me. So let's close with prayer, shall we? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for purifying our prayers and allowing us to come to you and the throne of your dear Father in heaven. Thank you that, that, that we are your children, your people forever and ever. Bless us, Lord, as we continue to honor you with our lives and, and grow in our faith and our love every day. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for teaching. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, or is it going to be different?